Revelation chapter 2. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everybody. We're going to move ahead, and I just um, ask for your prayers for me, for grace, and for <clears throat> the, the Spirit's leading. So let's pray together, <clears throat> and we will continue our, our look into God's word. Lord Jesus, we ask that you come to us. You reveal yourself to us. You quiet our hearts. You enable us to hear your word. And, and, and enable us to hear your word by doing your word. We ask, Lord Jesus, <clears throat> that, you, that you give us strength, that you bless us. In your holy name we pray, amen. All right, <clears throat> so the title of this sermon is Of Kings and Correspondence. Um, and I hope that we can really zero in and see through not just this passage in Revelation 2, but also the preceding one that we also read today, Revelation 1 that Jesus is a king who cares for his body. And so we worship him and we love him and we serve him. Boy, if you, if you hang around me long enough, you will recognize that I am a bit weird. I revel in watching YouTube videos explaining how things work, like internal combustion engines, like construction techniques, like air traffic control radio communications. I will sit for hours and listen to recorded ATC radio transmissions. It's weird. You can, you can all say it with me. It's weird. I know it. I know it partially because my wife, whenever she walks into the living room where I'm watching the TV with YouTube on it, pauses for a minute, looks at what's on YouTube, and says, my goodness, you're weird. 
So <clears throat> I, I suppose it shouldn't come as any surprise to you that the book of Revelation is really one of my favorite books in the entire Bible. I love it not just for its weird imagery of angels with bowls and censers and trumpets and scrolls and dragons, horses, riders. Those things are really super cool. I like them, but they're weird. I love it because it shows me how everything works and how everything works out. So... <clears throat> As we look at the book of Revelation, just the beginning part of it together, here's the one thing that you need to know about the book of Revelation. It's, it's the one thing that you need to know about all of life, really. And that's this. Jesus wins. That's it. Jesus wins. It, it, it's that simple and it's that complicated. The entire book is all about Jesus' complete victory over sin and death and how he folds that ultimate victory back into the life of the church. Back in the first century, echoing up even now. That is the message of the book of Revelation. And yeah, there's a lot that's confusing. There's a lot to understand. Um, there is imagery to take in. Um, <clears throat> but if we hold to that one central fact, we're on very, very solid footing. Jesus in his time on earth took to himself a body and a reasonable soul. We all hold to that. In fact, Jesus is still a body and soul. At the same time, fully God with all of those attributes and those two natures are fully, completely, and gloriously on display in Revelation chapter 1. Um, and we need that picture of Jesus to round out our perception of Jesus. We have, <clears throat> probably a lot of us have a perception of, of Jesus as kind of a long-haired, Kenny Loggins-looking kind of dude, right? And, and history tells us that that ain't what Jesus looked like. Jesus was probably just an average to below average looking Jewish man, a Middle Eastern guy in the first century. Nothing remarkable about him. He wore sandals. He wore a long robe. That is a picture that we tend to have of Jesus. But, but here in Revelation, what we see is, is some of the glory of God manifest through Jesus. So we, we, need to, we need to immerse ourselves in this picture of Jesus. And, and, and we know that here in Revelation 1, Jesus comes near. And we need to worship that Jesus. John was exiled on Patmos. Um, and 
I could stop right there because that is literally all we know about the island of Patmos. John was exiled there. We don't know much, if anything, about who else lived there. We don't know much of why John was exiled to Patmos. He was exiled there because of his testimony about Jesus, we're told. But that's about all we know. There was this island in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea called Patmos, and that's where John was. We do know that John was writing the book of Revelation somewhere around the year 95 AD. Somewhere around there. 60 or so years after Jesus' crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. So John was an old man at this point. He was likely to be in his mid to late 70s, maybe early 80s. It's commonly held that John was one of the youngest of the disciples. But here he was 75, 80 years old. He had walked with Jesus on earth. He had seen Jesus walk on water. He had seen Jesus multiply loaves and fishes. He had run away when Jesus was arrested. He had come near when Jesus hung on the cross. And he had seen Jesus after the resurrection. He had experienced more than 60 years of growth of the church seeing how the church had, had, had changed and grown and, and, and evolved over those 60 years. He had known the joy of generations of people coming to faith in Jesus because of his witness. And he also knew the pain of those who would try to tear down the church. But here he was on Patmos and he tells us that he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Here again, we're not entirely sure what that phrase means. John says he was in the spirit. Um, and that seemed to be something that would have <clears throat> communicated meaningfully to his original hearers. He was in the spirit. And, and we're not, this, in the 21st century, we're not exactly sure what that means. But we do know that the Lord's Day was the first day of the week. It was Sunday. It was the day that the church had, had adopted as the day to celebrate Christ's resurrection. And we do that even to this day. So John was worshiping God on Sunday. And his God took hold of him and showed him what was happening in the world around him and what was going to happen in the future. And John's state of worship is taken over by a sound, and we hear that in verse 10. I, I, I heard behind me a, a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and Pergamum and Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea. 
The voice is new and the voice is loud. The voice is startling. John had never experienced this particular voice before. It speaks with authority and the voice that comes from God comes to John and asks him to write down what he sees and to write to these churches that he mentions. Now, I suspect that few of us here will claim to have heard the voice of Jesus. None of us have been startled awake by a loud trumpet sound, unless your kid happens to play the trumpet and was playing a joke on you, which, again, I am not confessing to doing when I was a kid, since I played trumpets. But ask yourself this, is that because the voice of Jesus is not calling? Or is it because we're not listening? Could it be, could it be that the voice of Jesus calls out to us constantly? But rather than listen, we turn up the volume on the rest of our life. Perhaps we don't hear the voice of Jesus because we have tuned out to it. To hear the voice of Jesus, we need to be available to hear it. We need, like John, to commit to worship and to being open to the Holy Spirit. That requires sometimes stillness. It requires turning off YouTube, logging off of Twitter and Facebook, sitting in silence. And not knowing what's going to happen next. That's a scary thing for us to sit in quietness, in solitude, in silence. It's a scary thing to say to the Holy Spirit, I am open to your leading, to what you want for me to do. It's a kind of idolatry that I need to confess before you. It's so easy for me to want to remain in control. <clears throat> to not have to give myself completely over to God. But it's critical to be open to the Spirit. Not, not merely as something to connect with the religious or the transcendent just as a way of life, of, of truly living. So <clears throat> when John hears this voice, he, he does what a lot of us do when a loud noise happens behind us. He turns around. Makes sense. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. 
And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands was one like the Son of Man, clothed in a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. What a picture. What a picture. I saw one like the Son of Man. It's a, it's a description, that, that, that's a, it's a title that Jesus took for himself, and, and it's a title that has uh, a long history in the Old Testament, in the book of Ezekiel. The Ezekiel was called the Son of Man, not quite the same title, but... Um, we read about the Ancient of Days in Daniel 7. But, and we're not going to go all over the Old Testament and, and, and see all the prophecies and all of that, but um, the Ancient of Days gives to the Son of Man wisdom and honor and dominion and authority. The sash around his chest is the emblem of royalty, a just judge, somebody who has authority to rule. His white hair is an emblem of dignity and wisdom and honor. And his eyes, I don't know if you've ever met with somebody whose eyes could be, be described as fiery. You, you, you often connect with people whose, whose eyes are tender and caring, but people with fiery eyes. Those eyes that, that just seem to know you. To see you for who you are. Those are the eyes that Jesus possesses. And we go on and on, the feet are, are, are these solid things that, that, that are pure and firm. He can't be moved. And then we hear about Jesus' voice, like the roar of many waters. One of the best vacations my wife and I ever took was a trip to Hawaii. Trip of a lifetime. And we went to the north shore of Oahu. And the north shore is the place where the ocean, the waves come across, seemingly across the entire Pacific Ocean. And they, they raise up and they crash down. And we saw waves that day that we visited that were 
anywhere between 20 and 30 feet high, and then totally insane people trying to surf on them. But the one thing that I will never get out of my mind is the sound that those crashing waves made. We, we actually had a hard time hearing each other when we were standing right next to each other. It, it was just constant. And, and, it, and it spoke power. And that is how Jesus' voice is described for us too. Makes you stop and pay attention. So John takes in all of this stuff. He takes in the, the picture of Jesus. And what is his response? Abject terror. Says he falls down at his feet as though dead. Either dead or playing dead seems like a good idea when you are in front of someone who is this glorious. He couldn't take this vision. He couldn't take seeing the full glory of Christ. He was undone and, and I bet our response would be about the same. We need to read the next word. It is the most important word in the entire Bible. But that word tells us that this present reality, what we experience, what we would experience, isn't the way that it's going to be. It isn't the way that, that Jesus intends it to be. We, we read, but he laid his right hand on me. And he said, fear not. Don't be afraid. Fear not. Those are the words that <clears throat> angels who reveal themselves to people in the Bible say every time, don't be afraid. They are the words that Jesus said after he was resurrected every time he showed up in his disciples' lives, don't be afraid, fear not. And then he tells us why. Listen to this. Fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I have the keys of death and Hades. I have those keys. 
I hold the keys of destruction. And guess what? They're not for you. They're not for you. Don't be afraid. I am alive and I am here for you. That is the message of Jesus. And Jesus says the same thing to you. He says the same thing to me. Joel, don't be afraid. Jonah, don't be afraid. Highlands Church, don't be afraid. We serve this mighty, eternal, powerful Jesus, and he says to us over and over, don't be afraid of anything. Present circumstance, political posturing of ourselves, don't be afraid of him. Fear not. Jesus is here and Jesus is with us. Jesus is with us, Highlands Church. And so Jesus continues to speak and to communicate. He, he dictates these letters. How many of you remember um, going to the mailbox as more of a thing, uh, as less of a thing that's a, a drudge or something where uh, I just got to sort out the, the bills from the junk? How many of you remember going to the mailbox and thinking, I wonder who wrote me a letter? Okay, good. I see a distinct split between youth and older people. There used to be this thing, young people, called writing letters. And, and, and you got out a piece of paper. Okay? Stand with me here. It's complicated. And, and you wrote down your thoughts to another person. And you would fold that and put it in an envelope put a stamp on it, write out an address where you knew that person lived and put it in the mail. And people developed friendships and relationships this way. I grew up with a pen pal in Northern Ireland. I wrote letters to my cousins they wrote back. So here we have a letter to a church, and we're just going to look at one of the letters to the church in Ephesus. Just, just this one. And you knew, based on the, re the return address on that envelope, who the letter was from. And that told you something. And you were excited to read it. 
When I got letters from my pen pal, I got to see that there was that international envelope with the, with the special stamp on it. And I knew that was going to have some important news and, and some interesting stuff from an area of the world that I thought I would never get to. Still haven't gotten there, but I will. It tells you something. And so we have, in chapter one, information about the letter writer. And here we have the letter itself. <clears throat> and he says, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance. You can't bear with those who are evil, but you've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and that you have not grown weary. Jesus encourages his church. He encourages his church. He encourages us. He encourages Highlands Church. I know your works. I know your patient endurance. I know your faithfulness. I know what you have gone through, I know this. I want to pour out encouragement on you. And then Jesus says, and this, this part is, is hard for us to, to hear, hard to understand. And so I want us to, to be careful as we encounter it. Jesus says this, but this I have against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Repent and do the works you did at first. It's hard to hear, isn't it? That Jesus says, I've got something against you. We got a problem here. The problem is this. Where's the love? You're not showing me the love that you showed me at first. What does that love look like? Love for Jesus looks like being Jesus to each other. Love for Jesus looks like being Jesus to those who don't know Jesus. <clears throat> love for Jesus 
looks like, just as a, a, a very practical matter, tipping well. Do not ever be the kind of Christian who is cheap and please don't be the kind of Christian who leaves a small tip and a tract. Don't do that. Tip well. Love for Jesus can look like putting the shopping cart back in the thing. Out in the parking lot, even though it's not yours. Love for Jesus looks like lingering over a cup of coffee when you really don't have time, but lingering over a cup of coffee just to listen to another person. Love for Jesus <clears throat> looks like opening your home. It looks like baking things. It looks like giving a cup of cold water to someone in need. Jesus calls us, Highlands Church, to return to our first love. Return. Come back. So I want to give you an assignment this week. The assignment is this. I want each of you to, to think about and to write a letter from Jesus to Highlands Church. And for this to work, you've got to be, you've got to put yourself into kind of the place of Jesus. You can't just air your own complaints. You can't air, you know, that everything is great. But you need to understand the great encouragement that Jesus gives and the great challenge that Jesus gives. So write that letter. You can see here, it doesn't have to be long. The letter to Ephesus is only seven verses. And for sure, it doesn't have to have weird imagery in it unless you want to. Um, <clears throat> but write out a letter for Jesus, from Jesus. And here's the second part of the assignment. Share it. Share it with someone. Share it with me, Jonah, somebody else you know in the church. Share that letter and talk about it. Everybody clear in the assignment? Brothers and sisters, we serve an amazing king. 
We serve a glorious king. We serve a mighty king. We serve a king who was dead and now lives forever and ever. We serve a king who holds the keys of death and Hades because we will never have to go there. We serve that king. Let's show it in our love. Amen. Let's pray together. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that, that you call to us. That you reach down and you touch us and you tell us, fear not. You tell us, don't be afraid of circumstances. Don't be afraid of what stands against us. Don't be afraid of this world. Don't be afraid of ourselves. But rather, to look to you. And so we do look to you and we we respond in worship and we thank you that you have that you have come and that you unite us together with you through your broken body and through your shed blood. And so we pray that you will continue to bless our worship. In Jesus' name, amen.